Hello and welcome to the Second Row Podcast. My name is Park Kelly and as always I'm joined by Ushin Collins. Hello Park. Happy Easter. Happy Easter indeed. Don't forget the Second Row Podcast is available on all podcasting apps. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. So please rate, like, subscribe, tell a friend, all those things that really help us grow. This week we're talking European semi-finals. But before we do, a quick look at the news from the rugby world this week. And it's been a quiet week, actually. Well, there's been one story that's just never, ever going to end, I think. Yeah, I mean, the London Irish promotion battle has been a huge, uh, huge part of the headlines this week. It really has. But look, it's great to see Declan Kidney and Les Case do so well with London Irish and see them get promoted. It is. And obviously, the Falao saga continues to dominate the news this week. Different broadcasters making decisions about who they want representing their views. Different players deciding which side of this they're going to fall on. But it looks like Rugby Australia are going to court. There's going to be a hearing. When exactly that happens, we don't know. But it's going to dominate the headlines for months leading into the Rugby World Cup, without a doubt. Definitely. And this is going to be one of those defining moments of rugby and I think sport in general of what is acceptable in modern life. For sure. Look, we had some big games this weekend and they didn't come much bigger than the first of our Heineken Cup semi-finals. Saracens hosting Munster in Coventry and Munster defeated 32 points to 16. This game was full of intensity. The hits were incredible. Like I'm actually bruised from watching it. No, their collisions in this game were always going to be massive. But I think what was really telling was if you are able to get away with the type of physical dominance that Saracens can do if the nature of the refereeing enables you to do that then there is no team better in the world than Saracens that kind of raw physical dominance and their pack is just built for it and they have names to do it like the Vinopola brothers and Maro Toje I was really impressed with the other less heralded names in that back row though with Ray and Rhodes making up a hugely physical back row unit that blew Munster off the ball all day largely you know dubious to the letter of the laws but they weren't being pinged and you play the referee. And that's a big part of what teams have to do these days is play what the ref is seeing. And if you're not reacting fast enough or able to nullify what the opposition are doing, you're on the back foot before the game's even five minutes gone. There was a lot of defending in this game. The first half was very close. A couple of penalties exchanged from the two kickers and Conor Murray stepping up to knock over a monster long distance It was a kick. great kick, but that whole time through that first half, I was wondering when Saracens were going to score. But I wasn't never expecting the same from Munster. I never had that same expectation that they were going to try, cross the try line. Well, you look at what happened just before half time. Peter O'Mahony getting pinged for a deliberate knock-on. And I don't know how big a moment that was, but going into half time trailing 12-9 to 9 versus going in even after that first half, that could be significant psychologically as well. Knockout rugby is all about small moments and small game-defining moments. And we're not going to say that is one looking back on it, but... You know, that's for the history books to decide. I personally don't think it had that much effect on the outcome. No, the big effect on the outcome was the moment just the other side of half time, where Munster just got their numbers wrong. Mike Haley was watching the first player out from Rook and John Ryan, the next defender, took the third man instead of the second and Saracens went in for their first try virtually untouched. The easiest try they'll ever score. Definitely. But it was coming. I really was impressed with how Saracens attacked. They were going from between the two 10 metre lines on the pitch, just waiting for a half yard on the outside edge to create space and suddenly they knew that Munster's numbers would be wrong eventually once they get those half breaks. It was great sustained possession. They guaranteed their rock ball and they waited for the break to come. Really patient stuff. But they then turned the screw using that pressure. Munster having to try and force the game, having to play a little bit looser. And Saracens just kept brutalising Munster at the breakdown. 
kept getting penalties and kept knocking over points. But for all Saracen's pressure and control, Munster got a lifeline with a try in the corner from Sweetenham. Connemore with some great scrum half work at a scrum. He harassed Spencer and Vinopola into just making a mistake, poached the ball and got it as wide as possible, as quickly as possible. And then Sweetenham took advantage of Alex Goode just being a half a step off or a slip or something. That was a Saracen scrum, so Alex Goode clearly being a exiting formation to be switched on into a defensive line there, Sweetenham was always going to win that race. Particularly given the speed of ball that you saw from Scannell and Farrell. We've talked how many times this year about their quick distribution and it came to play. But the real concern for me was that wasn't a try that Munster created. It was one that they capitalised on. But we were really limited in attack. We weren't able to break down Saracen's defensive line. And that's a problem at this level. It really is. And... You can take a look back to the Edinburgh match where the two tries came off virtually the same thing. Earls is just individual magic getting you across the line. And I said it in an earlier European podcast that where Munster's try is going to come from against a team like Saracens. Which, when you look at Saracens' back line and you look in particular at the break that led to their second try from David Strettle down the right wing, just incredible pace. We did miss the likes of a Keith Earls or the creativity of somebody like a Simon Zebo to be able to create that opportunity out of thin air and Saracens had Strettle doing it they had Liam Williams doing it they had Alex Good, and that's before you look at having the likes of Itoje and Vinopola to just bash over the line again and again but I was impressed by Chris Farrell his carrying was incredible for me he was Munster's best player on the pitch I think he led by example whereas when you look to the pack CJ had a quieter game than normal effective but quiet Peter Manny effective Burn for me wasn't as effective as I would have liked to see. Well, let's just touch on the breakdown because for me, I think this was the losing of the game for Munster. In Tide Burn, Peter O'Mahony, CJ Stander, and arguably Jack O'Donoghue, Munster have three and a half superb technical breakdown operators. They Their body position is good. Their ability to hold their own weight is good. Their ability to poach ball is good. And in a game where the breakdown is being refereed very diligently in a really disciplined fashion, they're rewarded for that. That's why you see Ty Byrne and, and O'Mahony and Stander winning those kind of breakdown penalties. But they are not able to dominate a back row physically in the way that Saracens were able to do. And they took that weapon away from Munster. We couldn't slow down their ball. We couldn't get our hands on it. We didn't win those 50-50 penalties. For me, that was the losing of the game, in I, a nutshell. I know exactly what you mean, but Byrne and O'Mahony especially are very good at getting their hands on the ball mm. and they didn't get their hands on the ball enough at the rocks to actually be to peel back with it yeah, in, I, when they're being cleared out and it's in, and it's one of those things that they're very good at and when Saracens are coming in like that if they could just get their hands on the ball they paint a much different picture for the referee True but I think Saracens got a fair bit of leeway to do some creative artwork of their own at the breakdown <laughs> That's fair What about the yellow card? Could have been more It could have been more and I think a different ref goes further with that, but it had no outcome on the game. And at the end of the day, it's a discussion for the laws of the game and what referees should do, not with an effect on the game. They still haven't figured out how to penalise in a double tackle, have they? No, no. when someone's <laughs> tipped in a double tackle, they don't have a clue what to do. Yep. I think they need to penalise both players. And if one's only getting a yellow and a penalty for one, that doesn't really work. So they have to go, at minimum, both get a yellow for me. But this is a situation that World Rugby and the writers of laws need to really look at. Yeah, something they need to look at for sure. 
Look, an unfortunate result for Munster, but credit to Saracens. They were clearly the better team on the day. They played the conditions, they played the decisions, and they march on to a final against Leinster, who dispatched Toulouse in the second of the semi-finals, 30 points to 12. Another big win. This was an incredible game. With the opening exchanges, I thought we were going to get the Toulouse from the quarter-final. Nice, flair rugby, but... I remembered they had a 6-2 split on the bench. They were going for a forward-dominated game. You don't do that against Leinster. You certainly don't. Not when that's not where your strengths lie. For me, Toulouse got this game wrong before they turned up in the RDS. I don't know why they would have picked Bézy and Dupont two nines if they weren't going to try and play a creative, fast-moving, fast-paced game. They didn't have the personnel to play the game they decided they wanted to, and then they mis-executed that game as well. Like, across the 80 minutes, the second that the ball got loose and they started throwing the ball around to each other, they had Leinster on the ropes. They just couldn't convert any of those half chances they created. Well, look at Leinster's conversion rate by contrast. Three tries scored, all of them going to the men in blue. James Lowe with an unbelievable winger's finish. That guy just has such an instinct for the try line. And Scott Fardy at the end of two big forward displays dominant I don't think there's any other winger in Leinster that scores that try low got he barged through three or four defenders and had to reach over his head to dot the ball down and it's not like the Toulouse defence didn't know what they were doing their line speed was really good Leinster a little bit predictable and Ringrose was being asked to perform miracles every time the ball reached his hands because all of the space was already gone they were well managed for large parts of this game by the Toulouse defence. And it took Toulouse being a man down for Leinster to get a proper foothold in the game. Good pack work, good mall work, and Fardy goes over for his first try of the day. Yeah, I mean, how many games are we going to have where Leinster don't score at least one line-out mall try? Really good officiating, actually. Luke Pierce spotted hands in the ruck from the Toulouse number five and called it out to Barnes. It wasn't a TMO check at all. And Toulouse at that point, to be honest, were lucky to have not just lost Thomas Ramos for playing the ball on the ground after he got blocked down. That it, was very dubious. It was mad. He goes on his knees, scoops the ball back into himself twice Yeah, with Leinster players all around him. It was just madness. It, that's arguably penalty try territory as well. Definitely, because you have to take him out of the game and there was only blue shirts around the ball. But look, it wasn't 15-14 for long. Robbie Henshaw managed to get himself yellow carded for a deliberate knock-on up the other end. And there was a real ebb and flow to this match, at the, least in the first half. There really was. And like I know a lot of people talk about why wasn't that a penalty try territory for Robbie Henshaw. But you have to remember, Johnny Sexton was there, Scott Fardy and Rob Carney were covering across. I don't think you can actually say there was a probable try in that scenario. Like, it is a prop. I'm sure someone gets to him before he gets to the line. <laughs> Yeah, but I think what was interesting was watching Toulouse without that kind of general at 10. They didn't know who to give the ball to, to create opportunities and take advantage of that space. It was just a little bit naive from them. And that showed Leinster were just able to play their usual composed first half of rugby and then come out in the second half. And they came out the gates strong. Big 10 minutes, lots of territory up in the Toulouse end. And then... I'm not sure if he was injured, but Jerome Kano gets taken off for Toulouse. Just the wrong time to lose such a leader from that pack. Especially in the pack, as they have their own leaders outside the general team captain. And he'll be one of their key men. But Leinster started creating chances. Lowe had two disallowed tries in this game. One for Jack Conan, body checking a fella, and there was a forward pass. <laughs> and a forward pass. <laughs> and, and a forward pass in that line of play. <laughs> yeah. But then later on as well, like 
the tries were coming for Leinster in this game. They were, and Scott Fardy had to go off for a blood replacement, but he came back on and got his second try of the day as well, going over on about 50-55 minutes. That try all came from actually really good vision from Keane Healy. He acted as scrum half, drew in the pillar defender, and left Scott Fardy against the centre two metres out. Only one person wins that contest. Definitely. One thing that might be worth looking at from a Leinster perspective is the performance of the two tens that they had on the day. Ross Byrne obviously came on in about 65 minutes, played the last 15. Let's not talk down Johnny Sexton's contribution. Kicked all of his points, attempted a strange drop goal, put a couple of kicks out on the full, did not look up to scratch. And his body language, I was at the game on, on Sunday, and his body language around the pitch just was really poor. Shoulders were slumped. He looks like someone who is low on confidence. Not the world-beating, world-player-of-the-year performances that we saw last year for him. But I still think he's in a better place than he was during the Six Nations. That Johnny Sexton doesn't attempt that drop goal. Fair. You know, and I think this is a step in the right direction from a Leinster and an Irish perspective from him. And all of Leinster's tries were scored with him on the pitch. True, but to be honest, the really impressive-looking play came when Ross Byrne came on. Yeah, Leinster didn't capitalise any further on it, but watching him moving the attack around, he almost sits a little bit deeper from the Leinster attack, like a kind of an offensive coordinator, moving pods of forwards around, calling for the ball when it's on, setting up his wingers for kicks. It's a lot like the way that Owen Farrell plays for Saracens. It's a kind of a, a very interesting way of playing 10, rather than Johnny Sexton, who kind of insists on getting his hands on the ball all of the time. Byrne is happier to take a back seat. Which makes life a bit easier for defences as well because they have more time to rush up and the Toulouse defence did like to rush up. They certainly (laughs) did. Look, the last 10 minutes of this were pretty much a done deal. It was a case of whether we were going to see a breakaway try from Toulouse to narrow the margin or whether Leinster might get one more, but the result was never in doubt. It really wasn't. And I think the nail in the coffin for Toulouse came from that Lammer intercept in the corner. It just seemed to kill the energy. I know they controlled a lot of the ball for the final 10 minutes, but to be honest, that was their opportunity to get a try and get back in the game. Well, or at least to try and salvage something out of the result. But look, Leinster have the win. They march on to another European final. And it's going to be a difficult one. Saracens are going to offer much sterner opposition in Newcastle than Toulouse did in Dublin. For me, Saracens should be favourites in that fixture, but Leinster will have a week off beforehand, whereas Saracens will be hosting Exeter in the Premiership. Exeter are a big physical team. You'd argue that they're good preparation for the type of rugby that Leinster will play, but you don't really want to get beaten up the week before having to go into a European final against this Leinster team. That's for sure. In the Challenge Cup, we saw Clermont beat Harlequins, although they did their level best to try and live up to my curse. And La Rochelle beat Sale again, as expected. It's a nightmare for the tournament organisers. An all-French final in the Challenge Cup in Newcastle on the Friday night? That's not good. Look how many fans came to Dublin for Toulouse. Like 1,000? It was fairly shocking. But then again, how many Saracens fans made it as far as Coventry? You know, 4,000? They're outnumbered 3 to 1 by Munster supporters. It was was a pretty bad day for the European tournament organisers for their fan schedule anyway. For sure. So that's the final. We have Saracens facing Leinster in the Champions Cup on Saturday the 11th of May and Claremont facing La Rochelle in the Challenge Cup final on Friday the 10th. We will, as always, be back to talk about that at the time, but we have some more domestic rugby to get through between now and then. Before we preview next week, as always, we will go through our second row top performer and clown of the round. Pork, you picked our top performer this week. 
Yeah, I have. And for me, the top performers come from the Leinster game. Johnny Sexton might have got man the match, but for me, Scott Fardy was a standout player for Leinster. Two tries aside, his physicality and his rugby brain was on show throughout the 80 minutes. Incredible contribution to a relatively routine win for Leinster. And coming into the game at the last minute, Reese Ruddock obviously named to start at six. Scott Fardy parachuted into the lineup on the day of. That's a big ask to change your mentality. You're not getting that opportunity to watch the game from the bench come in and make an impact and having to deal with blood injury as well. He had quite a disrupted game. So impressive that he made such an impact as part of a very dominant Leinster pack performance. Yeah, this award could have gone to one of many, many pack players for Leinster, but I think the try just scooches at Scott Faraday's ways. Just about. Another good day in the second row from Toner and Ryan, though. Like, we might start calling this the Ryan reward at some point because <laughs> he's just phenomenal. Worth mentioning one player, and we don't like to give top performer awards outside of the Pro 14, but Owen Farrell was at his imperious best for Saracens. He pulled the strings superbly. Owen Farrell made the position of out-half look easy, and that is a hard thing to do. Certainly is. And you have picked our second row, Clown the Round. I have, and it's from the Leinster-Toulouse game as well. Immediately after Johnny Sexton knocks over Leinster's first penalty to tie up the score, Ramos steps up for the restart and dings it the entire length of the pitch, puts the ball dead, and gives the Leinster scrum a chance in the middle of the pitch. Three minutes later, James Lowe is waltzing over for a try. It was such a momentum killer after Leinster have pigged them back to evens. You just can't knock a restart dead. His pack must have been furious with him. There's nothing worse as a forward than having to pack down after conceding like that. It's so annoying and frustrating. Particularly when one of your stupid backs made it happen. <laughs> oh, that makes it even more stupid and more annoying. Yeah. And definitely clown worthy. I think so. To be honest, there weren't a lot of clown of the round contenders this week. It was really high quality rugby all around. It's almost like we're at the semi-final stage of the premier competition in the Northern Hemisphere. You have a point. <laughs> and look, if you agree with us, disagree with us, or have any moments or contenders that we may have missed, get in touch with us on facebook.com forward slash the second row or on Instagram and Twitter where we're at the second row. That is 2ND, not the word second. So top performer, Scott Fardy, clown of the round, that dropout from Thomas Ramos. <laughs> We have one round of Pro 14 games left. Round 21 comes up next week and we start off in Wales in the Millennium Stadium with Judgment Day. I love that. You can mock it. I love it. I think it's a great way to end the season in Wales. I can mock it and love it. (laughs) First game I will mock, which was the Dragons against the Scarlets. And later that day, we have Cardiff facing the Ospreys in Pretty much a straight shootout for a last chance at European rugby next year. Yeah, Ospreys and Cardiff are going for that fourth spot in Conference A. But in the earlier match, Scarlets need to pick up five points to have any chance of getting in the playoff spot themselves. Very true. Kicking off at the same time as the Scarlets game, Zebra play host to Benetton. Benetton knowing that their destiny and their chances of playoff rugby and Champions Cup rugby next year are completely in their own hands. Get a five-point win there, nobody can catch them. And me and Oshin are on the Benetton hype train and we'll be sporting them the whole way through that game. I'd love to see them in are champ- you, Are you trying to curse them? Are I'm you not trying s- to curse them? I'm not saying they're going to win or lose. That's your job. I'm saying we're supporting them. I'm saying nothing. <laughs> in the South Africa Bowl, Cheetahs play the Southern Kings. Really the only thing at stake here is Rabs Maxwane has a chance to break the single season Pro 12-14 try scoring record if he dots down for a try in that game. Which is mad to think that 
they can have a player on their team with that record and not be in competition and not be in the competitive end of the season. It's bananas. In the first of the Irish derbies, Ulster play host to Leinster in a game that really doesn't have anything at stake for a derby other than pride. Ulster have second place locked in in the conference. Leinster have first place locked in. Could see a lot of rotation of squads here. I think both teams are going to have people wrapped in cotton wool for their respective knockout fixtures. Ulster will have their knockout fixture a week later against Connacht and Leinster will have their eye very much firmly set on the Champions Cup final. The other Irish derby sees Connacht travelling to Munster with again Munster knowing that they need a big win here because at the same time as that game is happening Glasgow play host to Edinburgh knowing that they need a win to stay top of Conference A. But from five o'clock that day Edinburgh would have known what they need to do to get knockout rugby and champions cup rugby if scarlet's win edinburgh will need to win to guarantee themselves fourth spot and if benetton haven't beaten zebra a big win for edinburgh could see them nick into third place and get into the quarterfinals potentially against munster for the second year in a row that didn't go so well last year or this year yeah (laughs) connacht meanwhile don't have a whole lot to play for and i think we're probably going to see some squad players making a run out I'd like to see players trying to put their hands up for the quarterfinal spot and give Andy Friend some selection headaches. Look, a lot of the look of the tables is basically locked down here, but still a couple of things to play for. And I'm going to have to try and see some of these from a personal perspective, but you'll have a special guest next week on the podcast to talk about this last round. Yes, our third special guest host of the season, you complete dosser. Yep, it's going to be great. I'm not proud of it, but I'm glad you're scrambling in my absence. (laughs) (laughs) And that's us for this week. Thank you very much for listening. We will be back next week to recap the last ordinary round of the Pro 14 So until next time, goodbye and thanks again for listening. Take care.